0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, happy Friday. Thanks so much for tuning in as we wrap up the week and head into the weekend. Well, coming up on this Friday edition, you know what? The week is ending much like it began with President Biden railing
2: against the Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe v. Wade. This is a moment, the moment, the moment to restore the rights that have been taken away from us and the moment to protect our nation from the extremist agenda that is antithetical to everything we believe as Americans.
1: President Biden made those comments earlier today as he signed an executive order promoting abortion. We'll talk later with Dr. Ben Carson about the administration's fixation on abortion and the opportunity that this really provides pro-life Americans. We will also talk uh, about Dr. Carson's focus on raising little patriots. So stick around for that conversation. We'll also discuss Senator Elizabeth Warren's war cry against pro-life care pregnancy centers.
3: In Massachusetts right now, those crisis pregnancy centers that are there to fool people who are looking for pregnancy termination help outnumber True abortion clinics by three to one. We need to shut them down here in Massachusetts, and we need to shut them down all around
1: the country. You heard her. She wants to shut down the care pregnancy centers because there's too much competition for the death centers. Well, by the way, we have a petition to Senator Warren calling on her to stop her attack on care pregnancy centers that, by the way, provide more health care services in most cases uh, than the, the abortion centers. So, you can sign that petition to Senator Warren by going to TonyPerkins.com and following the links over. You know, as the president focuses on promoting abortion and transgendering our children, seems to be the two issues that he seems to be focused on most intently, the threats to national security and our economy are growing.
3: The most game-changing challenge we face comes from the Chinese Communist Party, It's covertly applying pressure across the globe. This might feel abstract, but it's real and it's pressing. We need to talk about it.
2: We need to act.
1: Well, we're certainly going to talk about it and we'll hope that the administration will act. That was UK's MI5 Director General Ken McCallum speaking to business and economic leaders earlier this week. Now, we touched on this yesterday with Gordon Chang, an Asian expert and author, But we're going to explore it more deeply today with Florida Congressman Mike Waltz, a member of the House Armed Services Committee. And finally, in President Biden's announcement of his executive order promoting abortion, he also had this to say about the Dobbs decision.
2: Remember the reason of the decision has an impact much beyond Roe and the right to privacy generally. Marriage equality, contraception, and so much more is at risk. As I've said several times,
1: the reaction of the left to the Dobbs decision indicates this is much bigger than abortion. It's about shutting down counterfeit operations previous justices had set up at the Supreme Court. Attorney Jonathan Mitchell, former Texas Solicitor General and the mastermind behind Texas's successful heartbeat bill, has been credited with helping lay the groundwork that toppled Roe. Jonathan Mitchell joins us later here on Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. I certainly encourage you to visit that and visit WashingtonStand.com. That's FRC's new online news and commentary from a biblical perspective right there for you, WashingtonStand.com. And, by the way, registration is now open for Pray, Vote, Stand 2022, September 14th through the 16th. We'll be at First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. To register, go to prayvotestand.org. Slash summit. And finally, our verse for today comes from Psalm 27. It's verses 13 and 14. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Powerful and encouraging words. To join us on our journey through the Bible, go to slash Bible. Yesterday, the Chinese Communist Party fired back against the heads of the FBI and the U.K.'s MI5 after the two, for the first time ever, as we discussed yesterday, set history, made history by having the two agencies share a public platform to send a strong, clear message on the serious and increasing threat that China poses to the world. With me now to explore this more is U.S. Congressman Mike Waltz. He's a member of the House Armed Services Committee, a decorated Special Forces officer. He represents the 6th Congressional District of the Sunshine State. Uh, Mike, welcome back to the program.
4: Good to be with you, Tony.
1: So give me your thoughts on uh, FBI Director Christopher Wray and the head of uh, the MI5 standing up together saying China is a world problem.
4: Yeah, Tony, uh, if this isn't a wake-up call for American companies, then I don't know uh, what would be. This is the head of the FBI and the head of the British version, uh, MI5, their internal intelligence, basically saying that if you do business with Chinese companies, if you do business in China, uh, you have an incredibly high, an almost guarantee that they are going to steal your intellectual property, steal your proprietary processes, and steal your patents because Chairman Xi of of the Communist Party uh, has put a strategy in place to steal their way to the top. He has openly talked about replacing the United States as a global leader, and they're going to do it by becoming the world's technological leader. So if they can't do it through cyber, through mergers and acquisitions, or by using what they call non traditional collectors, students, researchers, uh, businessmen attending uh, conferences, uh, they'll take it one way or another. And what they then do, Tony, is they set up their own competitive entity with the stolen technology. They state-subsidize that Chinese-owned business so that they can price uh, and, and unfairly uh, price people out of the market, and then they gobble up the market. And what do they do with the technology and the market share that they've stolen? They either create dependencies, as they've done, uh, with lithium, with uh, uh, antibiotics, with cancer medication, all the way down a whole list of things, that they want to be able to produce independently and create dependency around the world so that they can turn it off and use it as a lever geopolitically. And they also give those technologies to their military through their mill fusion program. This is serious, uh, and I am glad to see uh, uh, both of those leaders putting the word out and banging and banging the alarm bells as loud as they can.
1: Congressman, the Director General McCallum said that, you know, we need to talk about this, but we also need to act. And it's certainly right. good to see this coming from the FBI director. And he's been he's been stating this. He, in fact, uh, he, recently I read something where he said I was shocked. He said I knew they were bad, but didn't know they were this bad. So my question for you, Congressman Waltz, is is the administration actually acting upon this information? Do we see this within the, you know, the, the gears of government? Are they addressing the threat? Of China.
4: great great question and, and that's the follow-up I want to have from an oversight standpoint because on the one hand you have uh, FBI Director Ray saying this but on the other hand, they just shut down the China initiative, which was a concerted program the Trump administration put in place to go after these professors, these researchers, uh, these uh, you know businessmen that are infiltrating our businesses at the direction of the Chinese Communist Party. To steal our technology. Uh, so the, the Justice Department shut that down yet as they're sounding uh, the, the alarm bells. And I want to be clear, uh, I have no issue with well-meaning, uh, the historic, wonderful, beautiful Chinese people uh, in many of their companies. But under this leadership from Chairman Z, the leader of the Chinese Communist Party, they have no choice. Uh, but to right. vacuum up everything that they're directed to do, and again, it goes right to their military as a matter of state strategy.
1: It's a, it's a very important important distinction because I remember former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo repeatedly said that our our issue is not with the Chinese people; it is with right. the Chinese Communist Party, and it's the same for for us. Now we're talking in, in the focus of the comments uh, from the MI five. Uh, director general and from the FBI director, were focused more on the economic, the technology, and, of course, that bleeds over into national security. Didn't really talk about, certainly, human rights. That's what got me sanctioned by China because they're (laughs) such an abuser of human rights and religious freedom. But you also are focused on the military side of things as uh, the ranking member on the subcommittee on military readiness. I mean, is our military focused on the right things in terms of being prepared for the growing threat of the Chinese military? Yeah,
4: So here we have uh, the most rapid military modernization, the Chinese modernization uh, in world history, certainly in modern history. They're outbuilding us in ships five to one. They're on track. Uh, literally, NASA just put out a warning uh, that the Chinese are on track to, to militarize the moon. They're putting a brand-new space station up. Uh, they have the hypersonic weapons. Uh, and Z is telling this country, when it, as it comes to Taiwan, to prepare for war. Yet, what are we doing? We're focused on pronouns. Uh, we're focused on Pride Month. And now uh, the uh, Army is kicking out 60,000 soldiers, 20 percent of the National Guard and the Reserves, uh, because they have concerns over a vaccine that has now been proven to not stop the spread, which makes it a per- personal health decision of what type of uh, symptoms that you want to face. Uh, no, uh, Tony, that's a long way of saying we're not focused on the right things. We need to be focused on fighting and winning wars. And it's not just a threat from China and Russia. We still have Iran, North Korea, and a global threat from terrorists overlaid with $30 trillion in debt. We have serious national security concerns, and yet this is the, the nonsense that this Defense Department is prioritizing. And oh, by the way, I forgot to mention uh, the, the out-of-control threat of white supremacy that you heard from this Defense Secretary, yet his own study showed that 0.0004% of military members have engaged yeah. in some form of extremism. So their priorities are in all the wrong places.
1: I just want to add a little bit to your, to the point of driving out these sixty thousand. Is that is on top of the fact that the the army has not been able to meet its recruiting numbers. In fact, they're falling short. I think they're about forty for forty percent short of their numbers. I mean, this this just does not make sense what they're doing. And then I I just I got this. uh, You've probably seen this, a uh, a report that uh, a new training for army soldiers is that they must shower with transgender persons of the opposite sex, even if they have not had uh, the, the surgeries and say, basically get over it. If you're uncomfortable with it, doesn't matter. This is what we're doing in our military, you know, focused on all the wrong things.
4: Well, that that's absolutely right. And I, I, again, so on the one hand, we're going to discharge 60,000 soldiers uh, and, and deny them, by the way, their retirements and their benefits because, uh, you know, of, of rule of law, law and order. Uh, you know, you have to follow orders. You can't choose. But yet you can choose what gender you are. Uh, it's, it, it's just nonsensical. And uh, it, that's why we, we have to get the majority back. Uh, this isn't just the, the economy. This is the nation's security uh, and we are losing time. The, the, the other thing the Chinese are doing is quadrupling the size of their nuclear weapons fleet. Uh, so nice. uh, this is incredibly serious, Tony. And uh, this is this is why we've got to get this thing back on track.
1: Yeah, this is not make-believe. It's not games. This is uh, this is for keeps. Mistakes are extremely high. Congressman Michael, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks for joining us on this uh, Friday afternoon.
4: All right. Thank you, Tony. God bless.
1: You know what? And I actually had a stack of more things to talk about regarding the uh, the military, but I'll get to it next week. All right. All right. Don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch on the other side of this break. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family
0: Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible.
5: learn more at frc.org forward slash life
1: this is washington watch i'm tony perkins good to have you with us on this friday yes it's friday Well, earlier today, President Biden signed an executive order to expand access to abortion in the wake of the U.S. Supreme Court ruling that overturned the infamous Roe and Casey decisions. Now, in his remarks, the president claimed the nation needs to be protected from an extremist agenda. I would agree, but it's not the one he's thinking of. And that rights have have, uh, been taken away by the court. He also recognized that what the court did in the Dobbs case has an impact that could extend beyond the issue of abortion.
2: Remember the reason of the decision has an impact much beyond Roe and the right to privacy generally. Marriage equality, contraception, and so much more is at risk.
1: Well, is the president correct? Well, with me now to talk about this is someone who has been credited with having laid the groundwork that toppled Roe v. Wade, former Texas Solicitor General Jonathan Mitchell. Jonathan, welcome back to Washington Watch.
0: Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you again.
1: Well, let's start this discussion by talking about Dobbs. What are some of your thoughts on the ruling and the majority opinion?
0: Very strong opinion. Overrules row completely as expected, based not only on the draft opinion we saw earlier, but also based on oral arguments. And the issue has been returned to the states. There's obviously a lot more for states to do. There are states that are anti-abortion that have trigger bans in effect, but they've already been blocked by state courts. So this won't be the end of judicial involvement in state abortion policy. But it does remove the federal judiciary from second-guessing legislative decisions. And for anti-abortion people, that's a big step in the right direction.
1: It is. And you have been credited with laying the kind of the groundwork which brought down uh, Roe v. Wade. And part of that is going back to the, the Constitution. I mean, and essentially, that's what Alito did in his majority opinion when he just basically erased the language of Casey that says that you have the right to basically, I'm paraphrasing, uh, to create your own reality. That what we've seen and the left is going crazy because it I find it very, very interesting that they snuck something in. They said we found this in the, you know, the shadows of the Constitution. This is a right. And so they felt like it was preserved forever. But now we have a court that's gone back to the Constitution and not seeing it as a living, breathing document, but a textual view of this document. So. Is this a a sea change when it comes to our Supreme Court?
0: It's certainly a move in a more textualist direction. And I think some of our friends on the left who espouse the idea of a living constitution, there's some tension between that idea and their simultaneous claim that a precedent like Roe against Wade should be sacrosanct and therefore immune from overruling. I mean, if the constitution lives and breathes and evolves and changes over time, it's hard to understand how they can simultaneously insist that a judicial precedent is sacred when they don't think in any way we should be controlled by the text or what the framers think, but they do think we should be controlled by what some justices on the Supreme Court said 50 years ago. So I don't see the conservative Supreme Court majority right now embracing the living Constitution by overruling Roe, but they are saying that if a right is not mentioned in the text of the document, it's not going to be recognized by the court unless it's deeply rooted in history and tradition. And that was the test that Justice Alito set out in his majority opinion And I think that will be the task that controls for as long as the current Supreme Court majority holds.
1: I I want to go back to that precedent for a moment, because this is what a lot of people are now on the left zeroing in on saying, well, you wait a minute. Wait a minute. These justices lied because they said they observed precedent. Of course, the super precedent precedent. Um, But this is kind of the way I see it as as a layman, not one who argues before the court. But, you know, for them, president is basically saying because we hoodwinked the Americans and succeeded in creating these rights like abortion, they should be protected from this day forward and you can't get them. So it's like we got this done with our liberal left-leaning court and now you can't touch it.
0: Yeah, well, nobody lied at all in their confirmation hearings. No one ever said that they would preserve Roe against Wade. No one promised anything to any of the senators about how they would, at least in their public statements to the Senate Judiciary Committee, all we got were statements from Justice Kavanaugh that said that Roe against Blake is settled law. And Roe was settled law at the time he made that statement. In 2018, it was a precedent of the court. It had not been overruled, and it was settled at the time. That was not in any way a promise that he would never reconsider or overrule a decision. And even if the justices had made representations at their confirmations hearings about how they might rule, they were allowed to change their minds later. No one can actually be locked in to what they might have said. But the point is, no one ever said to the Senate That they would uphold Roe against Wade. No one ever promised that they would never overrule it. And statements that Roe against Wade is settled law was a truthful statement of the law as it existed at that time. It was not a promise to preserve and perpetuate Roe into perpetuity and keep it on the books forever.
1: I mean, is it safe to say, Jonathan, that the only thing that's really settled is what is clearly written in the Constitution?
0: Right. Constitutional rights that are in the text are rights that will last for as long as we have that text. Rights that are invented by judges, like the right to abortion, will last only for as long as you have a majority on the Supreme Court, that is ideologically predisposed to support that right. So constitutional rights that can be created by the court can be taken away by the court. And the removal of the right is as legitimate as the creation if you believe that judges have the flexibility to depart from the text. So it's hard to understand how the left can complain about lawlessness. Now, they may have complaints that this is bad policy. If you support access to abortion as a policy matter, you may think that it would have been better for the Supreme Court to leave Roe in place. But that is not a rule of law judgment. That just goes to whether abortion is normatively desirable or whether access to abortion is normatively desirable. But those are questions normally we let the political branches decide. We don't think judges are the ones who should be making policy decisions. They're supposed to enforce the law. And decisions about trade-offs between the right to life on the one hand and women's ability to obtain abortions on the other – is a type of quintessential policy trade-off that normally we have legislatures make.
1: True, so true. But there are some that saying, well, wait a minute, the court has shifted away and and people had begun to count on these rights. They took them away, and that is destabilizing uh, for our society. I want to talk about that. We're up against a break. I'm going to talk about it when we come back. And also, why the left was so surprised. In my view, I think they felt that this path that they were on in inventing rights, that that was the wave of the future. But I think they've been shocked, and I want to talk about how we got here and how that's preserved. So don't go away. We're going to be back with uh, more with Jonathan Mitchell here in just a moment as uh, we return after this break. By the way, um, I do want to encourage you to sign that petition to Senator Warren. We're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, later in the program when Dr. Carson joins me. but. She's attacking these care pregnancy centers, which are going to be even more important going forward as we build this culture of life. So go to TonyPerkins.com, sign that petition. All right, we're coming back, so don't go away.
5: Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this uh, Friday afternoon. We're joined by former Texas Solicitor Gen- General Jonathan Mitchell, uh, who helped uh, lay the groundwork for the uh, overturn of Roe v. Wade. All right, uh, Jonathan, thanks so much for uh, for sticking with us for this next segment. I, w- I want to ask you this and touch on this. The left says the court should be concerned with the, quote, unquote, real-life uh, consequences of the court changing its mind on on an issue, as you said, the court creates, the court can uncreate, but is that really the job of the court? Isn't the court supposed simply simply supposed to determine the constitutionality of a matter and leave the policy to the uh, to the elected officials?
0: Well, that's what legalists and legal formalists think. There are some people though who view the court more as a political institution, and they they might be considered pragmatists or consequentialists, where they believe that ultimately the touchstone of proper judicial decision-making is what type of consequences will ensue. So there are two schools of thought, I think, when it comes to the courts, people who have more of what I would say a legalistic mindset, where you judge the correctness of decisions by the courts based on how well they interpret the relevant statutes, constitutional provisions, and others who think that should be, there should at least be some practical leavening when judges decide how they go about deciding cases. So, you know, it's hard to say that one view is patently wrong, but uh, certainly I fall within the legalistic camp, and I'm a lot more sympathetic to the idea that courts just aren't very good at deciding matters of policy, and those are decisions ultimately for the political branches to make.
1: So, Jonathan, I now want to go to the other question. You know, to me, I think the left was surprised because the court has been doing their policy work for decades. I mean, Roe v. Wade is evidence of that. That's why they never bothered until recently when they thought it was uh, under uh, potentially at risk that they decided, well, maybe we should codify it into law, which is an acknowledgement that it never was law. It was a court decision. So I think, you know, they've captured the the institutions of higher learning, our law schools for the most part. And so they've been I mean, this is this is the mindset that they have been indoctrinating lawyers with. So they thought that this would continue to be the types of judges that we would have. But what we see now in the court is kind of an anomaly to what is progressing through our law schools. So,
0: were they caught by surprise? Perhaps. I don't think it was unreasonable for them to think that the membership of the Supreme Court would tend to be more sympathetic to liberal values and social issues. And there are reasons for that. Only lawyers can become judges if you look at the legal profession and the political views in the legal profession, they are somewhat to the left of the median voter. And you have to be a highly educated person to get appointed to the Supreme Court. And more educated people tend to be more liberal on social issues. So doesn't, I don't think it was naive or unreasonable for people on the left to think that they would have an inherent advantage by having judges decide policy questions like abortion. What happened, I think, was something no one really could foresee. No one really expected Donald Trump to win the election in 2016. He wound up getting three appointments to the Supreme Court, even though he only served one term as president, where you have Barack Obama, who had two terms, only get two appointments. So they did run into some bad luck when it came to the appointments, and that shifted the balance of the court. But I do think the point you make is an important one. There's no mechanism in place to guarantee a liberal majority on the Supreme Court. There's no invisible hand that ensures that federal judges or Supreme Court justices will always be in the pro-abortion camp when it comes to making these decisions.
1: So do you think that Donald Trump has set kind of a, a new standard, a benchmark, that we're going to see the future Republican nominees measured against?
0: I think that's probably right. But one other important point is that President Trump, unlike previous Republican presidents, did not have to deal with the judicial filibuster. The Democrats got rid of that under Harry Reid when it came to lower court judges. And then the Republicans eliminated the judicial filibuster for Supreme Court nominations after the Democrats filibustered Neil Gorsuch. So President Trump did have the advantage that he only needed 51 senators or 50 plus the vice president to get his judicial nominees confirmed. And President George W. Bush, by contrast, always had to face the threat of a Democratic filibuster, even when his party had the majority in the Senate. So, you know, definitely the rules have changed. It's easier to get judges confirmed now. That's true both for Democratic presidents and for Republican presidents because the judicial filibuster is gone. But it really, you know, Harry Reid's decision in 2013 to get rid of the judicial filibuster was a big step on the road to reverse and grow, because had he not done that, I think it would have been much harder for President Trump to get Justices Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett confirmed, because none of those three judges have 60 votes for confirmation. Right. They were all under right. 60 on the foot threshold.
1: So, so, Jonathan, final question for you. Um, I mean, I, I will just tell you, I'm, I'm very hopeful Now that I've seen these uh, cases come out of the Supreme Court, a return to the Constitution, that's why we fight for the Constitution. We believe it's a document that has staying power. Are we seeing, you know, through the courts kind of a a revival of the Constitution?
6: Possibly. And there's certainly
0: more sympathy toward textualism in statutory interpretation and constitutional interpretation. Justice Elena Kagan has said we are all textualists now. She made that comment in the context of statutory construction, but I think it also carries over to constitutional interpretation with the current membership of the court, but it could change. I mean, we have to remember the Warren court 60 years ago, that was the heyday of what you might call liberal judicial activism. And even at the Warren court's peak, no one could have foreseen at the time that Republican presidents would start making appointments to the court that changed the ideological balance. And that could happen here. I mean, the court could return to democratic control in time, it would only take a, an unexpected retirement or death, one or two of those, during a Democratic administration. So I think the point that we should all keep in mind is no one has a lock on any of our institutions. Yeah. The presidency, whether it's Congress, they go back and forth between parties. And it's true of the Supreme Court. It's slower for change to occur in the Supreme Court because of the appointment process. But eventually, nobody should ever think that their party will control the court forever. Liberals should not have thought that back in the 1960s with the Warren Court. But conservatives should not think that today. The court will eventually swing back. And it's important that the rules and interpretation that we have for the Constitution keep that possibility in mind.
1: Right. And we continue to stay involved in the process of elections. Jonathan Mitchell, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, So good to talk to you today. Thanks, Tony. Have a good week. You too. All right, folks, stick around. Dr. Ben Carson is next.
3: What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood.
5: Visit FRC.org slash internships to apply.
1: It is Friday. Good to have you with us. Hope you uh, have great plans for the weekend, but thanks for tuning in. It's always great to have you with us. All right, the U.S. Supreme Court's decision overturning the infamous 1973 Roe ruling has left, as we've been talking about, the left enraged. And frantic. I really believe they did not think it was going to happen because they thought they had a lock on the courts, as we were just talking about with Jonathan Mitchell. Well, today the president signed an executive order that promotes abortion access. The vice president then met with Democratic legislators from red states. And as we've talked about earlier, Sen- Senator Elizabeth Warren is calling for pregnancy resource centers to be shut
3: down. We need to shut them down here in Massachusetts and we need to shut them down all around the country you should not be able to torture a pregnant person like that
1: oh what where do I even begin with that to begin to well first it's a it's a it would be a not a pregnant person be a pregnant woman uh, I know that's hard for them to bring themselves to recognize that it is women that have babies but to torture them by letting them see the life that is within them, that they might make a choice that they will not regret from the, for the rest of their lives. And we know that. We know that from actual uh, filings with the Supreme Court, from, from women who had had abortions and the trauma that they faced afterwards because they were not given the facts by the abortion clinics. And then you have uh, Congresswoman Cory Bush vowing to advance legislation to repeal the pro-life Hyde Amendment. And, I mean, there's a lot, a lot more happening. In fact, next week is going to be like abortion week on Capitol Hill. So what's driving this, and what sorts of action should conservatives be engaging in to counter all this? What What are the opportunities that are before us right now? Well, joining me now to talk about this and more is our good friend Dr. Ben Carson, former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, a 2016 Republican presidential candidate, and the former director of the Pediatric Neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins. He is uh, now founder and chairman of the American Cornerstone Institute. Dr. Carson, welcome back to the program.
7: Well, thank you, Tony. Thank you for being such a trooper when it comes to uh, abortion.
1: Well, you know, you and I were actually together the day that the decision was handed down. We were in Lafayette, Louisiana, and, and in fact, speaking on a, a panel together. And, but a lot has happened in those two weeks. It was actually two weeks ago today that we were there. Uh, the left has just gone crazy uh, about this, and, and I—it's—it's it's almost as if they don't recognize how how driven they are for abortion. I mean, they—they—they're being exposed. I think. I think most Americans yeah. are saying, "Why? How? How can you be so dedicated to killing babies?"
7: Yeah, I—I I don't think they've really stopped to think about what they're doing. Uh, they're driven by ideology, and if they would just take a moment to think about it, all the things that we have learned since 1973 when Roe v. Wade was enacted uh, about what's going on in a mother's womb. And it's pretty easy to see that that is a life that is in there, that is a human being with a face and arms and legs and a heart beating, moving around, reacting, uh, and much more sophisticated than a snail darter, which uh, many of them are trying to save. So they really haven't stopped to think about that. And I don't think they've thought about the fact that if you, if you kill a pregnant woman, you get two charges of murder. So obviously, if that's the case, and if the law recognizes that, uh, recognizing it also. But, uh, you know, we have to be the ones who have to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves, as the Bible tells us
1: yeah absolutely. Uh, I want to get your reaction to the president's executive order today that he signed and, and really four main aspects of this executive order i mean he's he's been looking for what he can do he's to, He's uh told his Department of Health and Human Services to make sure that women have access to the abortion pill, which uh, last uh, records last year indicates about fifty two percent of abortions were through the abortion pill, but there's complications with that. We talked about that yesterday on the program. But the four main categories in today's executive order were safeguarding access to reproductive health services. This is essentially a request for HHS to submit a report in 30 days on what they are doing to educate on abortion and contraception. Then protecting uh, patient privacy and access to accurate information. Now, this is where they get involved with the Federal Trade Commission, and this is the same place that Senator Warren is. I think they're going to use this to go after the care pregnancy centers, and this is something... That I know you care about because you've been helping a lot of those care pregnancy centers that have full medical staff. They have doctors that volunteer that help, that are giving women real medical choices. They're going to try to shut them down.
7: Yeah, and and these are wonderful people who work at these clinics. Uh, Many of them are volunteering substantial amounts of their time uh, in order to try to to not only save babies, but to provide a better life for women who frequently feel as though they're trapped and that they don't have a choice. And and what they're doing is making sure that they understand that they do have choices and that we're not simply going to say to them, don't get an abortion and goodbye and good riddance. No, in fact, we're going to say, we're going to help you. We're going to help your baby. We're going to help your family because, you know, it doesn't just affect the woman. It affects her entire family. And uh, we have to be cognizant of that. And, uh, you know, the left who wants to destroy these places, I I, I find, you know, the, the president also said we're going to try to make sure that these places are safe. That is the places that are doing abortions. How about the places that are offering other types of care? You know, why is he not concerned about the fact that some of them have been firebombed and destroyed in other ways? Uh, this is really so disgusting, the way that that's being handled.
1: Yeah, it, it, there's no discussion here about those care pregnancy centers and other pro-life groups that have, uh, I think now the count is near 60, that have been uh, targeted, as you said, some with uh, firebombs. So I, I want to I, I move forward a little bit on this, uh, Dr. Carson, because, you know, the left's all worked up, uh, and they're going to continue to be, and they're going to try to do everything they can. But I think we should be doing everything we can to continue to promote the culture of life. So what are the opportunities? I mean, every time you see a challenge, to me, that says opportunity. And I think we have a tremendous opportunity right now because, number one, we've got a great court decision that has returned this to the states for the most part. And we can have these discussions with family, with friends, in legislatures. We can have people running for office. So what are some of those opportunities you see ahead for us?
7: Well, for one thing, we can start working on the adoption process. Uh, It is incredibly expensive to adopt an American baby, which is why people adopt them from foreign countries, and a very cumbersome and and lengthy process. We should be able to streamline that, make it safe and effective. Uh, That would make a big difference. Uh, We also need to make sure that we have appropriate wraparound services uh, for these women, including, in many cases, educational opportunities. So, So many of them really have not advanced very far on the educational spectrum. And the likelihood is that any children that they have would not advance far either. So uh, that's a tremendous opportunity. And it's an opportunity also to talk about right and wrong, about faith, about some of the things that were so important to the founding of this country, the things that, that gave us the fortitude and the strength. To defeat the most powerful military force on earth, Uh, we cannot discount uh, the role that faith has played and the understanding and the discussion of right and wrong.
1: I want to talk about that educational component, the moral component, because that's not something that's being produced in our education system in America, our public education system in America. In fact, it is the counter. I mean, we just saw the National uh, Education Association having their annual meeting uh, this week, and they were focused on abortion rights. They were focused on transgenderism. Not focused on providing a moral foundation for our children and love for this country. You have that's become a big focus of yours: is to begin to to train children to expose them to America's history. To create Little Patriots. Uh, You've got some new resources out. uh, Tell our viewers and listeners about it.
7: Yeah, well, we have a a new program starting in the Little Patriots uh, Forum uh, that is called Star-Spangled Adventures. Star-Spangled Adventures, and it it tells the real history of America without politics. Uh, Beautiful animations. We've hired uh, some of the uh, the best talent from Disney and Pixar and ABC Kids, the people who are non-woke, by the way, uh, to <laughs> illustrate these things. And uh, the quality is extraordinary. And there are lesson plans that go with each presentation uh, that can be used by parents, grandparents, uh, teachers, uh, any uh, group of people. There are downloadable exercises so that when you go off in the car or in the airplane, You can print these out and continue the educational process and they're fun. And uh, we also, and best of all, it's free of charge. We have wonderful sponsors who have underwritten it to make sure it's free. We also have new books, uh, Why America Matters and a new one that was just released this week called Red, White and Blue. Our flag matters to me and you. And, It starts with a little boy looking at a torn and tattered American flag on the ground. And then Liberty Eagle, who is the guide, comes and explains to him the significance of the red, the white, and the blue, the stars and the stripes, and the people who bled and died so that we could have freedom. By the time you get to the end of that book, you're bursting with pride. And when you see that flag, you want to stand, you want to salute it. Uh, We do all this without denigrating the people who want to kneel and who want to denigrate our nation. Uh, That's not what it's about. It's about the positive aspects. It's about why we should be proud of the nation that we happen to be in and do everything we can to preserve those freedoms for the people who are coming after us. Oh, and by the way, all the proceeds from the book shoveled right back into the Little Patriots program so that we can continue to make these offerings free of charge.
1: And folks, I want to encourage you, maybe homeschool, it's a great resource for churches. Uh, we've got to think creatively uh, about how we recapture education, something, Dr. Carson, we talk a lot about on this program, because if if we're successful, for instance, you know, the we've talked on this program about uh, how we got to this point of the overturn of Roe v. Wade. It's been it's been, for me, it's been 30 years in the making. Uh, for mm-hmm. others, it's been even longer, but we've been involved in elections. We've, uh, we've been, we've held positions of office. We've run for office, like yourself. We've, we've taught, we've, uh, we've challenged, we've passed legislation. I've passed some of the first uh, uh, in my home state of Louisiana on uh, certain aspects of the life issue. It, 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 it took us a while to get there. We've succeeded at this point, a lot of work still to be done, as we've talked about, but if we don't reach the next generation, this is just a matter of time. And so when we have Absolutely. an educational system that is indoctrinating, we've got to counter it with the truth. And, and you're taking a part of that by teaching these young children what America is about and teaching them to be proud and to love this country.
7: Train up a child in the way he go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. We have to give them uh, that real history, recognizing that your history gives you your identity, and your identity is the basis of your beliefs. And if you interrupt that chain, then you become a leaf blowing in the wind, easily swayed. And that's not who we are in this country. And I do believe that that is actually a big part of what's going to save us, unlike many other countries that have been in this position, because our founders knew that we would be in this position, quite frankly. Uh, But we have the fortitude. And we have the tools in our constitution, which will save us, which will not, for instance, allow the government to take away our ability to defend ourselves. Uh, All of these are important tools that our founders knew would be necessary as time went on. And that's why Benjamin Franklin, when asked, what do we have here, sir, after the constitution was done, a republic or a monarchy? And he said, a republic if we can keep it
1: and it requires work it requires participation not being spectators in the process and the place to start is right in the home in teaching our children because i heard a historian one time said it's that's so it's not as important what your history was as what you think it was in terms of determining your future and so we have to know our real history but we've got to teach that real history so that our children will know it and they will act upon it. Uh, Dr. Ben Carson, uh, very quickly, before we go tell folks how they can find out more about the little Patriots program,
7: little Patriots learning.com. And you can find out about all of our programs at American cornerstone by going to AmericanCornerstone.org. But if you just type in little Patriots, it'll come right up anyway.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we're so
1: we're so grateful for the work that you're doing and that uh, you didn't have to, but you love this country. And so you've stayed in the battle and we're uh, honored to battle alongside
7: you. And thank you for what you do, uh, what you've been doing for decades. It is such an inspiration to so many people. And if we all work in our sphere of influence toward the good, we will succeed. Absolutely. With the Lord's blessing. Dr. Carson, have a great weekend. All right, you too, Tony. Take
1: care. And folks, again, let me encourage you, sign that petition to Senator Warren, Elizabeth Warren, and tell her to stop attacking the care pregnancy centers that are doing great work all across this country. You can find it at TonyPerkins.com. I hope you have a great weekend. But until we see each other once again, let me leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, when you've taken your stand, by all means...